Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2018 and episode 17 of the Coach Fury podcast. This week's guest is going to be my buddy, Al Cavadlo. Al is an accomplished author, master PCC instructor with his brother, Danny, who's previously been on the podcast and also just launched an exciting new online program called Universal Strength. We're going to hear more from Al in a moment, but here's what's going on in the world of Fury. Look, I'm not the biggest fan of resolutions, but it is the new year. So if you're looking for some online training or some personal training, hit me up. Visit CoachFury.com. You'll see online and personal training tabs. Get more info there. Um, let's talk about some courses coming up, right? There's a lot. 2018 starting to fill in. It's crazy when it's already got a lot going on. Um, so there's still a couple of weeks to sign up for the RKC at the Movement Gym, MVMNT at... Uh, in Marietta, Georgia. That's going to be the first time I get to teach with senior RKC Beth Andrews. So super excited for that. That's going to be on January 26th through the 28th. So come and join us for that. You still got some time to sign up for that one. Then I'm bringing, uh, we're bringing Original Strength back to Crunch, this time at Crunch 59th Street on February 11th in NYC. Um, home base, MFF Bowery. The HKC is returning on March 18th. So come Learn how to master your swing, your get-up, and your gobble squat. More importantly, how to teach the crap out of those. Um, no date officially selected, but we're going to be bringing original strength to my friend Casey Lee's place in April. That's going to be in Vermont. I'll let you know when the dates are locked up on that. The RKC2, number two, comes to uh, Catalyst again. Catalyst Sport, May 5th through the 6th. I'm heading back out to Austin, Texas. I love Austin. I love Matt Furman, and I love Dow Health and Fitness for bringing me out. Uh, that's going to be for Original Strength on May 19th. Uh, and again, the course calendar continues to go. Visit CoachFury.com slash courses if you want to take a course, or hit me up on email if you want to host something as I'm building my schedule out. You've heard me talk about Strength Faction and being a mentor in Strength Faction. We've had guests that are both founders and members of Strength Faction. Uh, well, registration is closing on January 5th for the next four months of Strength Faction. Um, for more information on Strength Faction, you really should sign up. I think I've said Strength Faction a lot just right now in Strength Faction. Strength Faction. Visit strengthfaction.com. Also, if you listen to last week's podcast with Amanda Wheeler with Wheels, Formation Strength. Women, if you're looking for a, a really progressive approach and female community um, to get strong in, visit formationstrength.com. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 17. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the first edition of the Coach Fury podcast for 2018. This is episode 18, and I've got a good friend of mine, somebody that we celebrate the holidays with, and that is my friend, Al Cavadlo. For those that might not know of Al, uh, you've been living under a social media rock and a publishing rock. Al is a master trainer with his brother, Danny, who's also been on this podcast, uh, for the PCC bodyweight certification, and also uh, written several books for Dragondor that also runs that organization. He's got a recently launched online training platform. He's a personal trainer, uh, writes for bodybuilding.com and Train Magazine. Al's just a really good guy that produces a lot of quality content and I'm excited to talk to him about that stuff but also Al's got a teaching style as a fellow presenter that I really appreciate and as it turns out we actually uh, had a mutual friend when I first started thinking about training that Al trains out of their place so uh, Al why don't you in addition to whatever I just said say hi and let fill in the blanks what I might have left out on that hey 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 
I, I don't say hi. I say, hey, hey. <laughs> that works. Those, those of you who may be familiar with me already know that. And those of you who that's your first time, that's how I introduce myself. So, yeah, I think you really said a mouthful there already. I mean, that's everything we're going to talk about in this whole interview, just boiled down to a, a quick minute there. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing this, this personal training thing for a while and written some stuff about it and taught some people some stuff and very happy to be talking to you today about it. Well, thanks for coming on. I told this story when Danny was on it. And one of the things in the fitness industry uh, or any industry, but especially is um, the fitness industry can be incredibly warm and inviting or, or completely split up into like little mini cults. And when I got my gig with Dragon Door um, for the RKC, I knew of Al through a gym called Nimble Fitness. Um, and I knew of Danny through convict conditioning is where I think a lot of us in kettlebell land first got introduced to the two of you. And I sent a Facebook message out to Alan Danny being like, Hey guys, like we have a ton of mutual friends. We've never met. I just signed up for dragon door, uh, with dragon door and we should like grab a coffee or a drink or something. And the immediate response wasn't like, okay, maybe we'll make something happen. It was like, Hey, we're having a Memorial day barbecue. Why don't you bring the family? And not just, they said, why don't you stop by, but to invite the family out the gate is a really telling simple statement that somebody can make that you're like, all right, this is a good person. Right. So, uh, I've always appreciated that. I mentioned that on Danny's episode, but that was like, you kind of won my heart over a little bit there. Uh, Well, we thought you seemed cool. Oh man, you thought wrong. You thought wrong. Now we know better. (laughs) (laughs) The, the common thread that Al and I shared before we, we knew this is there's a two gym. Well, there's a gym in the city. They have two locations called Nimble Fitness. And one of the owners, Keith Payne, and I used to work together at my first visual effects company that I worked at ever called Quiet Man. And Keith left and started uh, teaching again. I think he had already previously been a yoga instructor. Keith, I'm sorry if you hear this and, and I'm murdering <laughs> your history. Uh, but then Keith opened up this gym, Nimble. And then while I was at Five Points Academy as a member and starting to go through certifications as an enthusiast and starting to think about becoming a trainer, Keith is actually the first person in the industry I reached out to. Like, what do you think about this? Like, what steps should I take? And Keith, like, sat me down and he was, like, clearly having known me before I started getting into fitness and then after. He, like, noticed the change that had come over me in my, you know, uh, not just my physical appearance, but also in my confidence level, I think. And he gave me some great books to read and some tips and some philosophies to, like, research up on. Uh, And was just, like, super supportive, which was one of the big things that led me to, like, going forward and actually talking to my boss, Steve Mellis, well, at the time, the gym owner, soon to be my boss, Steve Mellis, at Five Points Academy about maybe teaching. Now, this wasn't thinking full-time. This was just thinking maybe teaching some classes and maybe doing some sessions. So um, I found out shortly after I started seeing some of Al's videos pop up. I can't remember if it was through Facebook, but I was like, wait a minute, he's at Nimble. And it's like that little world collide. I was like, oh, friend of Keith. So that's also like a nice little plus. And since then, we've hung out a bunch. Um, We've been at a couple of uh, events and we've visited each other on set. I've gone through the PCC with Al. Um, And he's a really good dude. And I'm excited to talk to him about fitness. How long have you been like sort of independent training out of Nimble from the start? So, yeah, you know, this actually sets up my early days pretty nicely because I was working at a gym in New York City in the East Village, a big chain gym, a globo gym, as people sometimes like to call them. And uh, I'd been there for several years. And I think like a lot of trainers who work at those types of places, after a while, you start to feel like, what am I doing at this place? You know, I'm just kind of doing my own business, but 
instead of the brand being me, the brand is this nameless corporation. Well, it had a name, that corporation. But it's, <laughs> you know, that's the thing that happens when you work for a gym is the product is you, but it's under this veil of them. So eventually, you know, I got to a point where it's like, well, I just want to go out and do this myself. And why do I need to give a, a gym a cut? Especially at that point, I was getting into doing more and more calisthenics with people, not really using much of the equipment at the gym. And when I went to become independent, you probably have some of these clients, the trainers out there listening. You ever have one of those clients that has like three different trainers and you're like one of multiple trainers. And so I had this client who Keith was his other trainer. And he told me, he's like, oh, you know, my other trainer and his buddies just opened this independent spot. And I think they're letting some other people use it because he knew I was kind of looking to get out of there. So that was kind of uh, how it got started. I had already actually had a couple clients that I was training out of, out of another place. But when Nimble opened the original location on 12th Street, that was the, the first place that I really started to, uh, when I left that company completely, where I started bringing a lot of my independent business. And they were super supportive of me, like you said, you know, Keith and, and Daniel and uh, the other guys there, you know, they, they share, you mentioned my teaching style being pretty open and, and friendly and welcoming. They share that. And we've, we were on board from the very beginning. So yeah, it's funny. It's a small world. You know, the fitness industry is very big and very small at the same time. Yeah. It, it's often creepily small in a wonderful way. Like all of these people, all of these gyms, all of these coaches, all of these facilities, and yet it's it's like our our degrees of separation. We have Kevin Bacon beat. Keith oh, is yeah. also when you talk about personality, I never even thought about it that way. Like that makes total sense. Actually, Keith is a super chill, warm guy. Uh, I just remembered I taught my first client ever there. My first paid session ever was actually at Nimble. Um, I've gotten much better <laughs> since then, but I only ended up doing that one, one session because then I ended up getting really busy over at Five Points. Um, well, the other thing that happened with me when I started bringing independent clients over and they started seeing that you know, I was a competent trainer and that my style gelled with them is they started giving me some extra business too. There were you know, clients that either they couldn't fit in because of scheduling conflicts or whatnot and you know, throw old Al an extra client or two. And this was at a time, like I said, when I was fairly new to being an independent trainer and was yeah. new to the whole social media and getting started with blogging and YouTube, which took off for me pretty soon after that. But it was really, really helpful for me during that transition to have a couple of other guys who believed in me who were willing to throw me a little bit of business to help, help me keep that afloat. Yeah, it's awesome. So um, check out Nimble Fitness, folks. Um, good, good people, good facility. And we were just talking, they opened up a second location on St. Mark's in what we believe is actually the second floor of what used to be Kim's Video. Now, as a film major um, back in the day, Kim's Video was mecca for film majors. It is the only place you could go and get laser discs and rent them. They had sections for like John Water films and Nick Zed films, like whatever kind of like Weird. Forget about laser discs. You could get DVDs and VHS and all these other things that people don't use anymore, right? I, know. I still use uh, Blu-rays. I got to admit, like I'm, I'm not the. I don't love downloading. I still like a, the physical Blu-ray in my hand. I have no idea why. Um, it takes up too much space, but I still will buy. I'm still a Blu-ray guy. Um, but their place is in a really good location and there's a bar barcade under, uh, on the first floor, uh, that you can go drink and play old video games. At. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the, the nimble St. Mark's location is where I train some clients. Now we were talking about this before. I do a lot of sessions outdoors when the weather is conducive to that, but in the winter time, not everybody wants to be freezing their butt off at Tompkins square park. 
simple <laughs> St. Mark's location is walking distance, like a five minute walk from Tompkins. So that's kind of my default. You that's know, awesome. Raining, or if it's cold, I always bring people over there and uh, yeah, always happy to give those guys a shout out. In fact, it ties into something else I wanted to talk to you about, which is my new online video course, Universal Strength, because we actually filmed that at Nimble St. Mark's. Oh, I didn't realize that. I haven't been yeah. inside that location. I've only been on the 12th Street. So let, let's talk about it then. Let's actually go into that. Um, you, so you've just launched this uh, last month, correct? Yeah. So we really, this is the official launch now that it's January. So we did kind of like a, you know, a smaller test run of this in November. And uh, it did pretty well. And a lot of people did the program. We got a lot of feedback from people and we tweaked a couple of things and we uh, have it out now. And I hope people will check it out. This is my first and only online video course. I've done books in the past. I've done articles. I've done stuff on YouTube. But this is a a long form program. It's 30 days. And every day is a, a structured workout. Or there are a couple rest days in there. But even on the rest days, there's motivational videos from me. I give people dietary advice. I give them training philosophy. I explain some of the principles behind the programming and why we're doing the exercises that we're doing. And, uh, you know, just try to, like you mentioned, give people a little bit of my positivity and hopefully give them that little extra bit of inspiration to to push themselves and, and actually get it done. Because as you know, a big part of why people need these programs is the accountability, is something yeah. to check in with, something that's going to track their progress and make sure that they're going to actually stick with it. Yeah. Uh, when So if someone signs up, what, what, what is sort of like day one? What do they get? What are they, what are they looking at like so, day one? All right. So here's what you get when you join Universal Strength. Like I said, it's a 30-day structured challenge. And the very first day, it starts in with a workout. So there's an intro video. You get kind of uh, shown how the, the platform is going to work and how you're going to track it. So you, you click complete when you finish each workout and it takes you to the next step. There's a private Facebook group that we've got set up so everyone can kind of ask each other questions and commiserate and show progress photos and talk about whatever they might be working on that day. So you get that. And then of course, the other thing is people get access, a direct line to me. So if they have questions about the program, they can shoot me an email and I'm always going to get back to people within a day or two, a lot of time, a lot quicker than that. And uh, so the first day it starts right in with a workout, you know, and then the second day, there's another workout. And the third day, there's another workout. And the, the workouts progressively start to bring in more difficult exercises and more reps. And the, you know, the rest gets a little shorter and the holds get a little bit longer and everything starts to ramp up gradually. And if you stick with it, by the end of the 30 days, everyone who's actually stuck with it and done the whole thing is making really good results, getting stronger, getting more flexible, losing weight, everything that, that we want and that our clients want. That's awesome. Do you find a difference in how you program, say, um, a session, maybe at Tompkins Square Park, you know, like I say, a regular three-day-a-week client versus how you would program somebody f- online for sort of more of that group, group format? Yeah, you know, the, the thing about this program that makes it, well, you know, it's called universal strength that makes it so universal <laughs> is it's all completely minimalist bodyweight exercises, no equipment at all, not even a pull-up bar. It's all floor exercises. So it's anyone can do it anytime, anywhere. And, you know, there's certain workout programs that I feel are more geared toward men or some that are more geared toward women. I really wanted to make a workout that was going to challenge men and women and often in different ways because, you know, obviously I don't want to box people into all men are the same and all women are the same. But Generally speaking, men tend to struggle with some flexibility stuff. 
whereas women naturally have a little bit of a better genetic disposition toward that. And men tend to do a little bit better with strength. Women sometimes, especially upper body strength, tend to have a hard time with that. So this program has a lot of flexibility and a lot of strength. So it's, it's a good way for no matter what your strengths or weaknesses might be, for you to kind of get not only a, a realistic assessment of where you stand in those places, but a, a plan to improve on it. Oh, that sounds great. Let, let's, let's spin off. Like, let's talk about Thompson Square. I think it's interesting. Sometimes people will ask me very specifically, like, how do I program sandbags? How do I program original strength? How do I program kettlebells? How do I program body weight? And it's like, I don't necessarily program them as individual items. I, I create like a, a comprehensive program that incorporates what's right for the person regardless of the system and i think sometimes body weight training because sometimes you're faced with more direct limitations right like if somebody just puts on a program go do five pull-ups and you can't do pull-ups you and i know um you know progressions regressions ways of workarounds for that but how do you go about with somebody new um programming them out in a way that they can feel like something like a pull-up takes a long time. A push-up takes a long time that they, they stay in the game. Cause I think that's an important part with those certain things like a kettlebell swing. I can get you going pretty quickly. Right. Um, well, that's the thing with body weight that makes it unique is you can't change the weight as easy as just, I'm going to use a lighter kettlebell or I'm going to put more plates on this barbell. Yeah. You have to find a way to vary the exercise, to change the leverage, to change the weight to limb ratio or whatever aspect of it you might be manipulating to progress or regress it. And that's something that I've included in this program is most of the exercises have a regression if you can't do the full expression yet. And a lot of cases, they have a harder variation too if you're coming in at a higher level and you're able to to do the workout easily. I, I always want my people to be challenged. And that's something I love about body weight is that you can always find a way to make it more difficult without having to fall back on adding weights. And not that I have anything against weight training, but if you're looking to do a program that anyone can do anytime, anywhere at home, which is what I wanted to achieve with this, the way to do it was floor exercises, no equipment. I mean, I recommend for a couple things, like there's a headstand in there, like you might want to have a mat or a pillow, but that's the type of thing you're going to have that around the house. You don't have to seek that out. It would be interesting to see the percentage of American people in their mid-20s to late-50s that don't have at least one yoga mat somewhere in their vicinity. At this point, I would imagine it's a pretty high percentage. Or or a pillow. Yeah, I mean, a pillow for sure. But even just like at this point... Everyone has a yoga mat. Yoga is completely mainstream. And, you know, I'm glad you you bring up yoga because this is something I think about a lot with calisthenics because, you know, calisthenics has become way more of a, of a mainstream thing than it ever was, but it's still somewhat on the fringes. You know, most people, when they think about fitness, they're still thinking about lifting weights. They're thinking about a treadmill. They're thinking about going to the gym. But yoga was once on the fringes too. And yeah. now it is completely mainstream. Everyone knows what yoga is. Everyone could probably name three or four yoga poses, even if they'd never gone to a yoga class. And my hope, and I think what's starting to happen with calisthenics is it's on its way to becoming that mainstream. More and more people know what things like a a muscle-up or a human flag are than they did 10 years ago when I got into coaching this kind of stuff. And that's been really cool to see that that shift. I I would think that you and Danny and the crew over there have been highly responsible for that. Um, Thanks. That's been our mission. There is a growing awareness. And I'll say it's like, it's almost the same thing as a kettlebell. Like I remember when a kettlebell was 
um, Absolutely. You know, thought of as being a very threatening type of thing. Nobody but, knew what the heck those were 10 or 15 years ago. And now you can go to Target and buy some, you know, shitty ones, <laughs> but yeah. they're everywhere. They've made it to that level. Um, for Absolutely. Better, for better or worse in terms of some of the well, things. You're right. Yeah. There is, there is a, a downside to that too, that, that mainstreamization of things. Sometimes they get watered down a little bit. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes people will look at me. It's interesting how people self-define or culturally define what's esoteric, you know, or or very small niche. Because I'll have people still look at me with what I do, which I think is pretty mainstream in terms of, you know, if I don't break out a specific system's name that I happen to teach for, and be like, oh, that seems like out there. And, and But they'll talk about like Pilates and Feldenkrais as if like that's what's happening at every global gym. Not putting them down in any way, but it's interesting how certain things uh, – get instantly sort of accepted within certain groups. That's like, Oh, that, that's just part of that. I think those things took a long time before they finally caught on, you know, and, and, and became mainstream. You know, Feldenkrais has been around for a long, yeah, long, long time. time. Yeah. Recently that the trainers are getting hip to that. But yeah, uh, yeah it, ta- it just takes a while to, to penetrate the mainstream and kettlebells are, are getting there, but you're right to a lot of people, they're still fringes and, Body weight to a lot of people, you know, they think of calisthenics, they think of jumping jacks and burpees. The idea of progressive calisthenics as a strength, as a serious, legit strength modality is still a fringe idea to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I'll say with, with, with any person that comes into the gym looking for training, if I'm saying, say they're going to come into a, not a classroom environment, but they're going to come into a training room environment, pretty much across the board, if I wanted to lift, list like the three sort of out the gate, things that they think are almost impossible, right? So in kettlebell land, people look at a get up out the gate loaded and are like, no way. Mm -hmm. But even on a more general, wider, push-ups and pull-ups are the ones that if I know I'm doing an onboarding lesson and I'm going through some moves, that's where you you start to get the first frowns. Ugh, I'll never be able to do that. Can't do that. I don't have lats. Or you get the, the widest variety of form that has, that has been taught too, right there, you know, in kettlebell land, there's a few different styles and there's like what we can deem as hard style or sport or whatever, but in push-ups is pretty, pretty big. (laughs) And very few people can tell you why, right? Like, why am I choosing to teach you this version? Um, You know, I'm I'm glad you bring up the push-up because when we teach the PCC, the progressive calisthenic certification, the push-up is the very first module. It's the first exercise we cover. And I always love seeing people have their mind blown, even if they've been working out for 10 or 20 years, at how um, thoroughly we break down every nuance of that push-up. And we get people thinking about muscles and we get people thinking about uh, alignment aspects of it that they've never considered, even though they've done thousands of reps of that move and taught it to hundreds of people. And it's, it's a good way to just kind of set the pace for the weekend. Like, look, we're really going to break this stuff down. And sometimes people, they, they come in thinking, well, I know, I know the basics. I'm coming to this cert because I want to learn a muscle up. I'm coming yeah. to this cert because I want to get a flag. But really the, the meat and potatoes of the cert is the push-up module, is the pull-up module, is the way that we really hone in on those little details of those moves. Yeah, I actually, this is a good spot to sort of segue a little bit into your presentation style and also just the way um, the curriculum runs at the PCC. So I went through it about two years ago and I had had, had a body weight cert already through Strong First. So, you know, I was able to go through their version and I saw, you know, certain similarities in 
not how it was taught in any way, but you know, certainly there's some, the main exercises, there's overlapping right? material, there's overlapping material. But what I, what I loved about the PCC that kind of blew my mind, cause I've never actually seen a course run this way until that time was this idea of the module where most courses it's like, here's a drill, here's a progression, regression, go try it, come back. Here's a drill, go try it, come back. Whereas you guys taught it in a module, like here's all of the things now, with your partner or in a group, go try all of the things, which kind of really allows you to find what's right for you. And you can kind you find the edge of your ability very quickly where you don't feel like a jerk if, you, if it was just singled out. Because there is some very high-end stuff at the course yeah. that, you know, there are a handful of people that just destroyed. And you start to see as things get more complex, fewer people can do it. But in that module setting... It allowed people to, I think, enjoy trying things more. Like it became a little bit more about play and also let people succeed a little bit more. So it, it sunk in in a more rewarding fashion. Did I'm you come up with that? that. Like, where was that style developed? Yeah, I think that was, that was me and Danny who brought that in. You know, when we did the first bunch of PCC workshops, obviously the RKC was somewhat of an influence on how we structured them because that was Dragon Door's most successful workshop. And we, to a certain extent, wanted to follow in the, the footsteps of that. So uh, the first few workshops, there was a little bit of a different style. And then we kind of started to found that this worked better. But I, I'd been teaching calisthenics classes and smaller workshops for a long time before PCC ever kicked off. So I had that experience to go on. And, you know, as someone who's attended a lot of fitness workshops and attended a lot of certifications as a trainer, I, I had things about them that, that I enjoyed and things that I would have done differently. So it was incredibly fulfilling when I finally got the opportunity to leave my own certification to say, now I can finally do all the stuff that I've always thought these certs should be. So having that open-ended format is something that I, as an attendee, wished I could have experienced. So I'm glad that I can provide that for people and I'm glad that it resonates with you. And you know, just to clarify for anyone listening, you know, we, we do have everyone at the beginning of these modules do some of the same stuff. We, we all do the plank. We all do the hollow yeah. body before we get into any push-up stuff. We all focus on some of those basics. But as we get into the more advanced stuff, we don't call people out and say, okay, everybody has to try this really advanced drill now because we know it's not appropriate for everybody. Yeah. And we, we give out a few different, okay, some people... And we, we don't even make a point. We, we let it be self-selecting to a certain extent. We don't make a point of saying, you guys, you're going to be the wimpy group, and you guys, you're going to be the hardcore group. We just let people try things. That's one of the things that I love about bodyweight training is, you know, there's no perfectly safe training modality, but I think the risk for injury is lower with bodyweight than with other things. Because if you can't do the thing, you just can't do the thing. You're not going to drop a weight on yourself. You're not going to get crushed underneath a load you know, on the bench, the barbell is on your throat and you don't have a spotter. And, you know, you've seen those videos, those fail videos on Facebook. You know, someone fails at at a handstand, they fall over. You know, somebody fails at a a push-up, their ego gets bruised, but they don't really get hurt. That's true. It's it's, it's wonderfully self-limiting in a lot of ways. So to a certain extent, it's kind of like, all right, here's some things. Go ahead, try them for yourself. See see where you're at with this. Sometimes (laughs) people surprise us. Sometimes there's people who I look at this and I'm like, this guy's not going to get a flag. And it's like, oh, wow. 
You got a flag. Yeah, How about I'm, for, that? I'm forgetting her name at, at RPCC. This was June two years ago, I guess. There was mm-hmm. that woman. She had a Ninja Turtle T-shirt on. I'm forgetting her name. Like really quiet, unassuming. It was a, a Kirsty, the the GMB instructor, right? It might have been. And then all of a sudden, she like basically was able to do everything. Yes. you guys shown it, it was, was incredibly amazing. strong. Yeah, her name's Kirsty Grossart. She's an instructor for uh, for GMB Fitness. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that was one that was like, holy shit, she's phenomenal at everything. She, she's super modest too, right? She's just quiet, yeah. just lets her moves speak for themselves. Yeah, she was kind of very, very chill, super nice, but uh, very chill. And all of a sudden you were like, whoa. Yeah. Um, let's talk about another thing. So you mentioned Tompkins Square Park where you train yeah. outside. And I had no idea. So for, for those that don't, uh, I guess, don't do calisthenics or aren't skateboarders or haven't been to New York, Thompson Squ- Tompkins Square Park is was i don't know if it still is it, it, it used to be like a hub of street skating in in new york city it was like it, it, it still a, is it, it still is yeah autumn oh, yeah. skate shop used to be right down the street from it and i didn't realize that in the you know the the pull-up bars and the monkey bars in the back it's a big park people don't yeah. realize how much stuff there is yeah there's a whole corner that's the skaters and then there's the corner that's the <laughs> calisthenics guys and the junkies they still have a corner too they're still yeah. they still have presence <laughs> It's kind of weird now the mix of like they have that really nice dog run as well now like it's, it's, it. yep. it's how the Lower East Side for everybody how the Lower East Side has developed in the last seven years even not even don't even say like ten like yeah. seven years is crazy yep um it used to feel you the mood would switch the moment you crossed a towards that park and going mm-hmm. further down if anybody's ever heard the phrase Alphabet City Avenue A is the beginning of Tompkins Square Park. Uh, the pull-up bar section, if you want to visit, um, is towards Avenue B, and then you keep going down the letters. And this is where, like, uh, squat riots broke out in the 90s. Um, it was The city back then was really, really crazy. A lot of junkies in there. I just went to a hardcore um, uh, fundraiser. Yeah, they still have shows out there on the, on the 7th Street side of the park. Yeah, we saw war, uh, they did a Warzone tribute for Rabies over there last yeah. two months ago, and it was great. So... Anyway, like I had no idea that this other whole other aspect uh, of sort of like uh, a, a very respected, uh, almost mecca for calisthenics in, in New York City was happening over there. How, where did you first get introduced to Tompkins Square Park? You know, it was actually a client of mine when I was training at the, uh, the Globo Gym that I was at. Uh, one day, a client of mine comes up to me and says, hey, do you know this? Because he knew I was pretty into calisthenics. Do you know there's like a group of guys that does calisthenics over at this park? This must have been about 2005, 2006. And, uh, you know, you should, you should come out and check it out someday. Like on, on Sundays, they always get together and there's always these meetups. And the group he was referring to is a group called the Barbarians. They've got a, a pretty big YouTube presence and they, they did even more so back then. Uh, and so uh, I, I started going out there and, uh, and seeing what some of these guys were doing. And that was kind of my introduction into the, the street workout, you know, the extreme calisthenics. That was the first place I ever saw a one-arm pull-up or a muscle-up or some of these other moves. And, uh, yeah, then I just, you know, I, you also as a trainer, sometimes it's really good to have somewhere to work out that isn't the gym that you work at. So once I discovered this spot, I was like, oh, I could come here on my breaks and work out and get out of the gym for a little bit. And that was definitely a pivotal moment in, in my becoming, you know, wanting to go independent and not work at the gym anymore. So there were all these things happening. You know, it's never one thing, right? So 
I, I was aware that this, this nimble fitness gym was open and that independent trainers were welcome there and that they had a cool vibe. And I had Tompkins also, and I was spending more time there and was gradually starting to train some people there. You know, it wasn't like I just one day often was like, I'm quitting the gym and taking everybody yeah. independence. Little by little, one client is like, oh, you know, money's a little tight. And it's like, oh, you know what? If we train at the park, I can give you a better deal. And then someone else, oh, you know, this and that. And little by little, then you get to a breaking point where you're like, all right, I got to pick or choose. Yeah. And that was where I found myself at the, uh, at the end of 2009. And I said, I, I'm going to, you know what really put it over the top? It's these gyms, they treat their employees so badly. You know, they, uh, there was a, a new director came in and he saw an opportunity to make more money for the club by paying trainers less on sessions that were not part of the package. So, you know, all these gyms, they want to sell a, a client a 10-pack of sessions, a 25-pack, of 50-pack yep. of sessions. They hate when a client buys a single session. The trainer is probably getting the same rate either way. So there's to incentivize trainers selling packages, they lowered the rate that you would get on any session that wasn't part of a package. And I had several clients who were paying single sessions because they were really committed to training but couldn't afford to commit to a 10-session package. And I was like, I'm not going to start taking a hit. Yeah. This client who I've been training for years, I'm not going to let the gym keep more money. Screw them. I'm, I'm out. And that was kind of like the last nail in the coffin. And there were a lot of things happening at that gym at that time where I just felt like the, uh, the training was not the priority. You know, the, the, the product was the gym. And the, the trainers, forget them. That's sort of like not an uncommon thing. I think um, I, I, it's interesting. I'm sometimes, ex- I should say, I'm extremely grateful that I became a, a fitness professional through Five Points Academy and then Mark Fisher Fitness to have just two really well-run self- Can't ask for a better introduction. Run. I do sometimes, though, think I would be very, would have been very well served doing like a couple of years at, you know, a big box Globo gym. Well, the um, great thing about it is, is it forces you to be really good. It's sink or swim in those places. Yeah. And so you, for anyone who doesn't know how it works, if you've ever joined a gym and you get a, a free session with a personal trainer, a complimentary session or an assessment, or depending on how good the salesman is, how they frame it, a good salesman will call it an assessment. A bad salesman will call it a free personal training session. When you get that, it's really an opportunity for the trainer to, to sell you on their services. And most of these gyms pay the trainers virtually nothing except commissions on those sales. So if you're not closing first workouts, you're not making money and you're not going to last. So that environment forces you to have to be good. And this is kind of what we were talking about before, how I developed my style. I developed my style because so many people join the gym and they have this attitude about working out of, oh God, I hate working out, yeah. but I got to do this. The doctor told me I... I'm at risk for diabetes or my girlfriend left me because I'm too fat or whatever. I can't fit into my clothes anymore. And if you could meet someone who has that mindset and you can actually get them through an hour long workout and they like it, you've got yourself a client. And that was my mission was give someone a good workout, but first and foremost, make sure they're enjoying the experience, make it fun. You know, Hey, 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 we're working out. You get to do it, not you have to do it. Yeah. And that, uh, that was a very successful strategy for me. And there are other trainers who have success with a different style. I've known some trainers who are more the drill sergeant. I don't question anything. Shut up and do what I say. And some people respond really well to that type of style. And, and for those clients, it's great that there's trainers who are comfortable doing that. But 
I mean, you got to be true to who you are. I'm, I'm not a drill sergeant kind of guy. I'm, I'm your old buddy, Al. So that's, that's the role I'm going to play as a trainer. Yeah, I think it's, it, I find it's the same way. I think, you know, when you have different styles of training, it's great if it's authentic to the person doing it, because then you'll find your tribe who yeah. connects with you in that teaching style. I think sometimes what happens is trainers, especially when they're in that competitive environment, or it's almost becomes high school in a little bit of a way where you're trying to find out what am I supposed to do to set myself apart? What is my style supposed to be versus, you know, like kind of it's there and then you, you yeah. I guess it stems from being authentic to who you are as a person. Um, but when suddenly there's sales pressure thrown on, and I know I went through this more as an executive producer in my old field than, than this one, is just sort of having the faith on being yourself and that you're not going to win every person over probably. Right. But if you can connect with somebody, you don't need to be into the same things. You know, you don't have to be the same age, the same gender. If you can just make an honest connection, they'll give you a shot. And then if you yeah. make an honest result you're going to have a client for a long time, right? Like, yes. uh, prove that, you know, honest strength, don't injure people, don't be a dick. And you're going to have a client working with you. I think that there's, uh, there's really two types of personal training clients. If you want to simplify this. And I think every trainer before they get into the business thinks that every personal training client is the type of client who's really motivated and loves to work out and is hiring a trainer because they just want to push it to the next level and they want to be super, super serious. And the reality is most clients are the other kind, which is they hate working out. That's why they need to pay somebody to make them do it. And I, I think a lot of trainers are really thrown by the idea that they have to sell people on training when they're new to it because they want to just work with people who are fired up to do it and, and want to work hard. And I think sometimes there's this unfortunate mindset. And I got into this in the beginning too, where you feel like it's beneath you or it's cheap to try to sell people on training. It's like, well, I'm not a salesperson. I'm a trainer. But what you have to get is that the person in front of you doesn't realize that they have a good opportunity. And you have to yeah. make them see that. And you have to make them see, look, this, this is something that if you want this to change your life, this can really change your life. But you've got to trust me and you've got to take a chance on that. And you have an hour to, to show that to this person. So once I started making that shift in mindset and not thinking of it as, this is my chance to sell this client, but rather start thinking of it on, this person has an opportunity to really change their life right now. Can I get them to see that? And if I can get them to see that, I don't really have to sell them. And so instead of selling them on personal training, I really believe that I can change people's lives. And I just have to convey that to them as, as best as I can. No, it's a super true point that selling, and, and I struggled with this at first because I, I think one of the things I had an advantage was coming from an advertising visual effects background. Like I knew uh, I've been around marketing and, and copywriting and, and creative direction a lot. So that was, you know, and having a film background and a writing background, that certainly was one thing that gave me a little bit of an edge, or at least I think it, I think it did. I think it's mm -hmm. actually probably helping me now. Well, having had now. any life experience helps. So many people get into sure. personal training when they're really young. I, I got started when I was 23 and just as a 23 year old person trying to be an authority figure to someone in their forties is a weird dynamic. Yeah. It really is. But I think there's that aspect of even when you've sold the session, whether we realize it or not, people are still buying a service from us and in delivering quality service, we're selling. I know one of the books we, we all had to read as a team at MFF was uh, Daniel Pink's To Sell as Human. We are selling. It's when we're not lying or trying to defraud somebody yes. that it's an issue. Sales doesn't mean dishonesty. Yes, exactly. Up about. 
Exactly. Um, I wanted to move on and I just sort of spaced out on where I wanted to take this. We had talked about Thompson Square Park and then on your teaching style. Yeah. And from that, again, I noticed that from Tompkins is you're the first, you and Danny are the first two that I became aware of that for calisthenics purposes. Mm-hmm. When you first started training there, were you getting vibed at all? Or was it like welcoming? Because I know sometimes on the skateboard scene, like you can get some crazy bad vibes at first until like people get to know you a little bit. You know, the, the calisthenics community is really welcoming. And that's part of what I love about it. Because... Uh, yeah, most of the time it's funny. People sometimes get intimidated because, you know, they see a whole bunch of like really buff dudes in the park, like doing pull-ups with shirts off. And it's like, these guys look like badasses. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with them. And I think I had that vibe about some of the guys I would see at the park. Like, let me give them some space. I don't want to step on their turf. But when I finally did get the courage to start talking to some of these guys, I was like, oh, they're just really nice, cool dudes who are into this stuff. And I'm into this stuff and we hit it off real well. So I've made a lot, of, a lot of friends over the years from the calisthenics community. And every once in a while, like anywhere else, there's a couple of jerks out there. There's a couple of yeah. people who want to act like they invented the pull-up or whatever it might be. And, uh, and you know, you're, you're, you're stealing their move or whatever. But, but for the most part, everyone in this community is super welcoming and super supportive and, and realizes what I was saying before that it's still kind of on the fringes and we want to make it grow. We, we all want to spread the word about this because it's something that has profoundly affected our lives in a positive way. And we want to spread that positivity forward and, and, and show other people that you can improve your life too. And it's not as hard as you might think it is. The, the hardest part is starting. You know, that's, that's the case with anything. The first yeah. is the worst. Well, let's talk about starting. So uh, my awareness of Tompkins Square was through your social media, you and Danny's social media for sure, mm-hmm. and some of the some of the pictures um, in the convict conditioning. I believe it was two. Convict conditioning too. Yeah, that and, was and Danny then, and my first appearance in any Dragon Door book, and, and our first, you know, mainstream. I don't know if Dragon Door is considered a mainstream brand exactly, but our, our certainly our I biggest would, exposure that that we had received in in terms of the fitness industry. And you had mentioned when you first went independent and then started at Nimble, how you hadn't really started progressing, like, you know, you're writing, you're blogging, or, or you're was when media. it That was when it was really starting to get going, was during those days. Yeah, 2009, 2010. What drove that transition, and where did you see the transition from, you know, uh, I have one of your books, Zen, Mind, and Body, and, uh, I mean, I have several of your books, but this is the one I'm, I'm speaking about. Yeah, um, Zen, Mind, Strong, Body. Yes, that's it. Sorry, that's the correct that's title. okay. You were close. And, <laughs> you mentioned that you went on like a challenge for to to create a video every day for a year. Was that am I blowing that? No, it, was, it would be, yeah, it's not not quite that much content. But I did create a lot of content in the okay. early days of the blog. I think it was some, somewhere around maybe a hundred articles the first year and a hundred videos the first year, and maybe a little more than that the second year. But certainly over the course of the first few years, you know, several hundred articles and videos on the blog. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things, it's, it's a lot like getting in shape. You know, you start out with this, what gets you through the door is this, oh, I want the end result. But what actually gets you to the end result is doing the work and embracing the process. And a lot of people think, oh, I want to start a blog or I want to start a podcast. And all of a sudden, I'm going to get all this success from it and get all these followers. But it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes consistency. And a lot of people don't stay the course for the long haul. 
And those who do are the ones who reap the rewards. And not just hard work and, and, and consistency, but also really paying attention to what's working and what's not working, mm-hmm. continually refining the process and being open to maybe dropping something that wasn't working, even if you were really attached to it, and welcoming in something that's very different than what your original vision was, just to see if maybe this other idea is going to be better than I'd given it credit for when I thought about it in theory. Yeah, it's, I've, when, I've seen you and Danny. So if, I, if we're at a barbecue or hanging out, I see the moments where you and Danny go in the back and you start talking about like the book that's coming out and you strategize. And I don't eavesdrop or anything, but you are very aware of that process of like what's working and what's not. And yes. you both have, uh, you know, are super prolific in terms of the amount of content, but also that it comes out as uniquely Cavadlo and also uniquely Al Cavadlo or uniquely Danny Cavadlo. If anybody wants to get a, a gauge on, you know, the difference in the personalities, both super cool dudes, but very different personalities if you listen to Danny's episode um, versus listening to this episode. Did that skill just come up? I also know your other brother, your third brother, is a, is a writer as well. Does he? Did he help it out at all in any of the early stages and structure? We grew up in, in a family where academia and writing was very important. You know, our both of our parents are teachers, and they're awesome. They're, and they're awesome. Your and folks we were are awesome. Incredibly blessed to have such loving, intelligent, nurturing parents who believed in us and told us we could do whatever we wanted to do, and not just told us, but helped us. You know. Yeah drove us to, to, you know, drum lessons or guitar lessons or art lessons or whatever it was. And we, we had very, very good, good childhood, very good upbringing. But, uh, but yeah, we, we all also, you know, it's one of those nature or nurture questions. We were brought up in a, in a household where that was stressed. But we also took to it. We also like writing. Yeah. You know, Danny and I both, before we became trainers, were into music and wanted to be musicians. And we're, we're creative people. We're expressive people. We, we both have that, that need to get it out of us. You know, there's this thing inside, and I have to express myself. I have to get it out. I have to be uh, on stage or somehow have an audience for this. So what, what started out, you know, I, I started writing poems and songs and short stories when I was a kid. And I still have some of those old notebooks from, from college and high school, just, you know, thoughts and lyrics and whatever in it. And, and over time, you know, I actually, I have a degree in English. That's what I, I went to college for. And I wound up becoming a trainer somewhat in spite of that. <laughs> it was really fulfilling several years into my training career when I did start to tap into combining those two worlds. Yeah. To finally be able to merge that. Because I think it frustrated me to a certain extent that even though I liked being a trainer and it was a very fulfilling career, that it wasn't tapping into the creative aspect. And then finally I did get to, to marry those worlds and it's, it's really satisfying. It's funny that you say it that way. Cause I'm noticed in the last year, I'm struggling a little bit with that where I couldn't wait to get out of visual effects to take on training. But there are times now where I'll see a movie or a documentary or, uh, you know, where I, I, I just miss aspects of this former life that I had working on creative teams or doing more purely creative writing or trying to shoot a movie or a short film or something. Mm -hmm. And I think I I can totally relate to that feeling. I think a lot of people think when they hop into training land and they they just like that, that old life is like totally done. This is all it. But if you've been invested in something for a long time, there's a reason, hopefully why, what got you invested 
And sometimes you don't get to express it the same way. And I think, you know, one of the things with this podcast is, you know, Danny on the it's podcast. That. Yeah. The, the, you know, creative Danny, opportunity. Danny also mentioned this thing in fitness of this idea of creating content versus mm-hmm. creating. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think we've become like, it's almost become our job description. Certainly when leadership groups, there's more of a drive to, to sort of pressure to create content for lack of a better word, but it really should yeah. just be purely creating. And I know I've been very open. One of the things on this podcast was, is I got tired of making hinge videos. I got tired of making some videos. I wanted to help people, but then I've also started seeing every, so many other hinge videos that, you know, and I was like, let me just have cool conversations with my friends or some people I don't know very well, introduce them to some people that might not have heard of them. So the interesting thing is when you, you mentioned you know, the, the hopefully make money when people start social media, they're seeing the money. And the interesting thing with this podcast, I mean, yeah, I ask people to donate to Patreon if they want to, but I didn't expect more than 20 people to listen to this. And I think, you know, I average somewhere around uh, 90 to 180 listeners an episode. The beauty of low expectations. Yeah, you know, but it's, <laughs> it's been a very fun, creative process for me to yeah. have these conversations getting well, you're better. doing it to do it the audience yeah, getting better will, at garage band, mixing it out getting to like have the conversation so i think if anybody if any trainers are out there a, a lesson that you can learn from what al just said is is find the spark that in you that has to come out versus feeling you have to put something out yeah you know again leadership is a little different sometimes because we're helping build a brand a little more directly um you know, forcing social media sometimes. It's not I can't. Bursting out of you, don't do it. Uh, and if you proofread your shit, because I know I'm bad at that, I'll go back and I'll proofread stuff. But sometimes nothing I wrong do. with proofreading. But at a certain point, you got to pull the trigger. Yeah, but I see things on on Facebook that you're like, I, I kind of half get the point someone was trying to make, or you can't hear something that's on the mic. And I'm lo-fi guy. I don't, I don't, I'm not telling the world of trainers I'm, you have to go. I'm a big fan of, of editing, you know, don't, don't put a first draft out there. My, my books <laughs> go through a ton of revision. Yeah. That, go through a ton of revision. That, but at a certain point you have to just say, okay, this is going out. And you know what, if I have a different opinion in the future, I'll write something else. That's totally. A that a lot of people get caught up into is thinking they have to say everything there is to say in one article and then you blow your load. You, know, yeah. you, have, you have to pay stuff out. Focus an article, focus it as much as you can on a specific thing and, and go off on that thing because then you have more to talk about next time. <laughs> yeah, I just had to say, like, everyone just write a blog now about what you hated about The Last Jedi and then put one I'm Not about that. Enough, enough people are saying that. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Well, that's uh, the other thing. I'm, I'm glad you bring this up because this is, you know, there's somewhat some irony to what I'm about to say and I recognize that. But one of my biggest complaints is people complain so much. Oh, yeah. And such a big part of my brand is I want to be the antithesis of that. I never post anything that isn't positive, or it's extremely, extremely rare if I ever do. Because so many other people are posting negative stuff. And it's not that I'm always happy all the time and I never get annoyed. Of course I do. But that's not what I want to share with the world. What I want to share with the world is a positive message, an uplifting message. I'll rant to my wife in the privacy of our own home. I'll rant to you when the cameras aren't rolling, but uh, when we're not recording. But there's no reason to put that out there to the whole world and to people who that's the only exposure they're going to have to me in their whole life is me complaining? Come on. In the context of this, I've been positive for 45 minutes, so I'll get this one little... <laughs> that was back, the most negative. back to positivity. <laughs> come on, uh, people! Enough with the enough with the rants. Focus on this. This is this is how I'll try to sum it up. 
Focus on promoting the things you love. Don't focus on complaining about the stuff you hate. There's enough that you like out there that you should just talk about that, hopefully. Yeah, I'll, I'll say the, the closest thing to a negative is, is I have taken a more political voice on certain posts this, this year. because well, I, I stay just, out of politics. See, like I, I do. I'm it's just got nothing like, to do with fitness. Half, uh, half it, of my followers believe one side, half believe the other, and I don't want to alienate anybody. And yeah, frankly, I, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I, I, I find myself now more than ever having a stronger opinion, even though I know it's probably not the most well-informed opinion. But this <laughs> round... And, I, I know pull-ups. I don't know what the hell with politics. <laughs> this, this round okay, I just found... You know, like uh, I, I'm, I'm working with uh, most of my clients or or in the facility or more of a population that are more directly affected by this. They're my closer friends. And I, I feel it. Mm-hmm. the opportunity I have to have a voice, uh, you know, I share it to a degree. But I'm also like incredibly fair on what I, you know, what I've been sharing to try to open discussion versus sure. again, social media can't really open it. No matter how fair, right. You're, no matter how fair it you're can't. trying to be, it never leads to anything positive, which is why I said what I said. Just, just yeah. talk about something positive. Talk about something good. It'll make you happier. That's the thing. When you put out negativity, you attract more negativity and it brings you deeper into your funk. You put out good vibes, people bring good vibes back to you and you start feeling better. Yeah, I think when every time I, I write a post that might have a political bend or directly has a political bend, I shouldn't say it's directly political, I do think of the wording on it that it isn't just like a bitch session, right? right. Like, I think that's part of it. And it's like, if, <laughs> like I, I'm going to say this. I enjoyed The Last Jedi a lot more than like the things that annoyed me about it. But with the amount of grown-ass men and women bitching about it, and I get it. Star Wars is like deep to me it's too. It's a big deal to people. But can we just maybe just for a moment be like and just embrace the fact that we've had three new Star Wars films in three years and they're pretty fucking good compared to like what we had in the past. And that the fact that they're just still being made is wonderful and that like we have a roof over our heads and you had the money to afford to buy a ticket to go see a movie. Um, (laughs) There's so many bigger problems to have. Um, But yeah, you are a super positive dude. And but like, you know, it's I think that's one of the things in your teaching style. And in your social media and your writing presence, too, that comes out. I think that's like an endearing to Al quality. Well, thanks. And the other thing, like at the workshop, is I, I want people to have a good time. You know, They're taking time out of their schedule. They're paying money. The last thing I want is for anyone to leave one of my workshops feeling disappointed by it. So I, I go above and beyond to, to ensure that the people there are having a good experience. Yeah, it should never be about like, uh, you know, it's intimid- not about me. It's about intimidation them. or about the individual. Uh, it's about everybody getting what they paid for and having a yeah. good experience. And, 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 and the knowledge will come from that. Yep. It's all about them. I'm there to facilitate their experience. I'm like, I'm like a, a waiter at a different kind of bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm actually going to need to start getting out to go train some sessions. So yeah. Al, thank you so much for taking this time uh, to talk with us. To it was a pleasure. To the listeners. Uh, please tell the listeners where they can find you, track you down, find out about universal strength. So the great thing about me is I'm very Googleable, if you can spell my name correctly. It's, it's K-A-V-A-D-L-O is my last name. My first name is Al, A-L. And I think Google will know if you put an Al space K-A-V, if you Google fitness stuff regularly, it might know you're looking for me. So that's the best way to find me. Or <laughs> just go to my website, Al Cavadlo, and information about universal strength and my books and the, the workshops is all on my website. And uh, yeah, I really hope people will check out this program. 
it's, uh, it's a really great program. Like I said, it's something anybody can do anywhere. If you think this might be something for you, it is. Check it out. Take a look. And you have a direct line to me. Everyone who gets this program, I'm here for you guys. Your emails, I will get back to them. I will answer your questions. And I've even been making videos for the questions that I've been getting a lot because uh, it's oh, more fun to have a video. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Uh, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Hell yeah. All right, all you Coach Fury listeners out there, make sure you live a good life and die mighty. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, on Alan, taking the time. Um, it was my pleasure. Thanks I'm going to have to go visit there. Nimble. I'm going to have to get Keith on the podcast. You should definitely have Keith on the I, podcast. I think, I've had, I think I've mentioned Nimble on probably nimble as much as you know not as much as five points or mff but on several things without i, I gotta reach out to him i mean he was practically on this episode right we talked about it for 10 minutes it's the cool it's awesome so yeah um ladies and gentlemen happy new year thank you for listening to the the first episode of the year uh i can't believe we've hit 17 episodes folks if you want to track down any of the courses that i'm involved in hit up coachfury.com if you're into training uh, whether it's personal or online as well, hit that up. Um, also, if you're interested in pedestal footwear, uh, that was the guy, Mike Lyon, that I had on the podcast uh, a little while. If you're interested in pedestal footwear, uh, enter the path, the discount code Coach Fury, capital C, capital F, to get 15% off your order. Uh, I love these socks. I'm actually wearing them now. I just think they're rad and they're good guys. It's a good product. And please stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, have a strong year. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by yours truly, Steve, Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Urieta. Thanks, everyone.